So let's turn in our Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going through the pastoral epistles. I think most of you know this, but in case you're new, these, these are uh, three books out of the 66 in the Bible that are written to pastors, but everybody can glean things from them. And um, they are First and Second Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus were young men that came up uh, with the help of the Apostle Paul and his ministry as a missionary church planner, and they grew up under him and ended up being bishops. Uh, Timothy would become the bishop of the church at Ephesus, and then and uh, Titus would become the bishop at the church, the church of Crete. And this is after they had had missionary experience. They had been missionaries for a while and then became pastors, kind of like what we're going to see here uh, in our church. So uh, he's writing these letters to them. That's what the word epistles means. It means letters. And we're doing one chapter a week, and we're up to ver- uh, chapter 6. So we finish 1 Timothy tonight, chapter 6. We'll go on to 2 Timothy uh, next week. Now, the first two verses <clears throat> tell us that the uh, pastor has to instruct those in the church that are both uh, what it says in verses 1 and 2, servants and masters. Uh, that means today, employees and employers, we don't have this system, the closest thing to it we have is employers and employees. And so here's the instructions, verses 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So a pastor here is told to teach employees, and employers, uh, how they should also behave in the workplace. It's very important that every Christian in the workplace is a good testimony. A good testimony. You are going to influence people that you work with um, more than the local pastor will. Uh, You may be the only one, the only, uh, what the Bible calls, living epistle in their Life. They're not reading the Bible, they're reading you. And uh, so be a good testimony. And it tells us about our attitude while working. It says, let as many servants as are under the yoke, we are under our employers, count their own masters worthy of all honor, even if they're unsaved. He goes to the saved ones in verse 2, but if you have an unsaved master or employer... Uh, work for them, show them all honor. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed or injured. That's what the word blasphemy means. We can blaspheme or injure God by our words, cursing, swearing, using God's name in vain, or by our actions. We can hurt the testimony of the Lord by our actions or be blaspheme the doctrine or the teaching of the word of God. And so be a good testimony at work. Uh, Ask the Lord to help you every day. They that have believing masters, in other words, if you work for somebody who's saved, let them not despise them, that is, uh, think more lightly of them as an employer than you would if the person was unsaved because they are brethren. 
Don't say, oh boy, good, I, I, got, uh, I got a brother in the Lord as my employer and I can skate and, and uh, get off a little bit and, and be uh, not, you know, I don't have to honor him so much because he's going to understand I'm a brother, he's going to forgive me. No, don't take advantage of that, but rather do them service. Rather do them service. That's a good attitude for any employee. I always tell the young people, when you go to get a job, and they ask you why you want to work here, tell them, I want to help you be a success. They'll probably have a heart attack or fall off their chair when they hear you say that. But we're supposed to get a job so we can do them service. Don't go in there and say, well, I want to work here because I really need the money. No, I want to help you succeed in your business. Uh, but because a, a saved employer is faithful and beloved, notice, partakers of the benefit. Partakers of the benefit. Let's not forget the benefit of being saved. All right, we have benefits the unsaved don't have. In uh, Psalm 68 and verse number 19, it said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. We were daily loaded with benefits from the Lord because we're believers, we're in Christ, we have things they don't have. Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay, there's a difference between blessings and benefits. That's another sermon another time, but it's a wonderful study if you see the difference between a blessing and a, a benefit. And if you work for a saved man, you are a partaker of the benefit. And then it says in the end of verse 2, these things teach and exhort. So there's instructions to the pastor that from time to time, we've got to tell the congregation how to be good employees and somebody might say, well, what about the employers? Well, glad you asked. Colossians chapter 3, I call this getting paid twice. Most of you have heard this before. You say, what if you don't like your job? Well, in Colossians 3 verse 22, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. I call that being paid twice. And that text right there, Colossians 3, 22 through 24, will help you if you're a Christian and you don't like your job. If you don't like your job... Still, obey in all things your master, not with eye service, not just when he's watching, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fear to God. And whatever you do at work, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not just unto your employer. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance. When's that? That's in heaven. So you get paid on Friday and you get paid in heaven. Later on, if you do it heartily, is under the Lord. And uh, what about them? Well, it says in Colossians 4 about the employers, Masters, give unto your servants, verse 1, 
that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And so the employers are told to uh, give what's just and equal and be a good uh, uh, employer. And boy, if we could just live by Christianity in America again, of course we don't, but uh, if we just could, things would work out, even in the workplace. Things would go well. The Bible is such a practical book. It really does instruct us about everything. Now, verses 3 through 5, we have words for rebels against authority. Now, in the context, if it's talking about the workplace, I'm going to read for you an interesting interpretation here in a moment. But it says in verse 3, now, right after he says how you should behave at work, whether your boss is unsaved, verse 1, or saved, verse 2, Verses 3 through 5 says, if any man teach otherwise, in other words, he tries to stir you up as an employee to not work this way, to not live this way, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he, that is, this guy who's trying to stir up things at work, this, this irritant, this agitator, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh Envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. In other words, thinking, and in other words, that money is everything. From such, withdraw yourself. Avoid those kind of people. I got David Sorensen's book here called Understanding the Bible. And uh, he was, he's been at our church before. This is what he says. He's got a different, modern, more modern take on what verses 3 through 5 are addressing. Paul thus deals with those who would rebel against such recognized authority that is in the workplace. A problem down through the ages has been rebellion against authority, often in the name of economic equality. Sound familiar? Whether it was those inciting servants to rebel against their masters in ancient times or Marxists in modern times urging workers to overthrow their employer, rebellion for economic gain has never been sanctioned by God. Here, the apostle describes those who for economic motive were willing to be rebellious. Such rebels usually are proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Notice that these are described as proud, knowing nothing, and doting on questions and strifes of words. The word translated as doting has the sense of morbid interest. Undercutting duly appointed authority only goes to stir greater problems. The result of such agitation is envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. The thought is that rebellion against one's master or employer further generates envy, trouble, nasty statements, and evil thinking. Paul continues that such rebellious thinking is the perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness. For many down through the ages, the notion of economic gain or economic equality has taken on the proportion of godliness. In the communist and socialistic mind, economic equality equals their religion. 
Note the biblical injunction at this point. From such withdraw thyself. God's people ought to have no part with such rebellion. The greater underlying principle is that rebellion against properly appointed authority is ungodly, even if in the name of fairness or equality. So I thought that was pretty well said by Dr. Sorensen. And boy, we saw that especially back in the 1900s with all the agitations and irritation and, and how the communists and Marxists and socialists used the workplace to create chaos in countries and then use big government to take over the chaos. And man alive, that's, that's, that's it's something. It's, I guess it's always been that way, but... But, uh, boy, peace in the workplace. You know, I know we have unions and, and things, and, and unions I know originally were designed to be very, very good and helpful uh, to make sure there wasn't abuse of employment, employees, you know, in long 16-hour days for 14-year-olds or something in sweatshops. I, I understand a lot of good came out of that, but, 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 but it seems like some evil people have overtaken that. And we see this, this, this horrific hatred of capitalism in America, uh, which is biblical, and which, which is just private individual entrepreneurship and individual ruggedness where you just you make it on your own. And uh, that's what uh, I know Clarence Thomas, the, one of the justices on the Supreme Court, said that. He said the dirty little secret about capitalism is you're on your own. And um, we've got socialistic uh, um, programs right now. I don't know if you've ever seen a pie chart of, of expenses of America. And look on there at Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid spending health. It's about two-thirds of all of our government spending. And it, it's, it, it, it can't last. It's a socialistic program that's not based on the Bible. It was started by FDR, and it's just about sunk us into oblivion. $33 trillion in debt, and, uh, and it's, it's, it, really it's over about $100 trillion in debt when you count all that stuff. We're sunk. I don't know how to, I, I don't know, I think anyone knows how to get out of it. They just keep printing the presses as fast. I can't go off on that there, though. We've got to stick to this. But, but uh, so the, the pastor has to address being an employee, being an employer, and then, and, and then, realizing that the workplace, verses 3 through 5, is a place where Satan really gets in and agitates countries. And that's been the socialistic play, uh, playbook from the start, is just divide the people up into tiny little fragments. Uh, you know, their philosophy is the, un, the organized minority will always beat the unorganized majority. And boy, are they having their way in our country. Well, anyway... So this, this, most of this chapter is about economics here. And uh, the pastor has to deal with economics. What's right and what's wrong? Notice verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, godliness with contentment, not with riots and striking and all that kind of stuff, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. The wise old sage Job said in Job 1 and verse number 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. 
The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so uh, a person is rich. Verse 6, the true riches is a godly person. That's a godlike spiritual person who has a contented heart. You know, a person with a contented heart can be satisfied with very little and, and, and be more satisfied than some millionaire or billionaire who's in depression or suicidal because he wishes he had more. Because the more and more and more they get, the uh, I mean, just read the book of Ecclesiastes one time, and it just shows the, 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 the nature of fallen man that the more and more and more he gets, the, the more and more unsatisfied he is. And the more he uh, finds that uh, what he has is vanity and vexation of spirit, which is also called heaviness or depression. There's a lot of depression nowadays about people who think that if they just could have more money or have more things, they'd be satisfied. No, you, 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 you can, if you just have a contented heart, if you're satisfied, best way to be satisfied is just be satisfied in Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, can, he, he, is, our, he is El Shaddai, he's the satisfying God, the all-satisfying one. God is enough. God is enough to satisfy us. Whether we're rich or poor, he's enough. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And so there is the biblical standard for what we should have to be content, and that is food and clothes. Food and clothes. Try to sell that in America, that verse 8. Boy, it doesn't fly much, does it? But, but that's the contented heart is great gain. And if we, boy, if you, we say, man, you know, God gave me my food today, and I have clothes today, that should be contentment. Whether you ever own a house, whether you ever own a car or whatever, and there's some people live that way. They don't have a car. They don't, only 9% of the world owns a car. There's a lot of people who never have a vehicle, never will have a vehicle. If you have one, you're in the top 9%. And um, some people never own a house, never even dream about it. Just got a little hut or a little apartment or something and some clothes and food. and Golly. And sometimes missionaries go over there and tell us how happy those people are uh, who have so little. And uh, when they have the Lord, when they have the Lord. Verse 9 and 10 are a warning, uh, but they that will be rich. Now, the, the wording is very important. It doesn't say being rich is wrong. It says, but they that will be rich. In other words, those that give their whole life with that goal in mind, I'm going to be rich someday. Why? Because back in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, you cannot serve God and mammon. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will hold the one and despise the other. And so those that serve mammon are going to end up hating the Lord and despising the Lord and uh, wanting nothing to do with it. Just uh, listen to those people when they talk about churches. Oh, they want your money. You know, that's the attitude they have. And those of you that come here know that's not true. Or go to a good church, you know that's not true. Um, But they that will be rich fall into temptation. Going to be a lot of temptations and a snare that's a trap. A snare is a trap, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So this is mostly talking about the unsaved here in verse 9, but then verse 10 says, 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Now you can't err from the faith without being in the faith. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So there are times when believers in Christ get distracted by the pursuit of riches. The pursuit of money. And as a result, they end up erring from the faith. They end up getting involved in things that are ungodly, unscriptural, dishonest. uh, Just so they can make more money. And they will be pierced through with many sorrows. Many sorrows. And so we, we must take to heart the words of our Lord who said, you cannot serve God and mammon. So make up your mind, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to honor God. And if usually God blesses that manner, usually, at least in our country, God blesses the man or the woman who serves him. And, and he takes care of their needs. He goes far beyond their needs, exceeding abundantly. And uh, they're blessed. And those, maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're sincerely struggling with the stewardship principles of tithing and giving offerings and you're struggling. That's a matter of the heart because where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And I want to encourage you to work on getting your heart right with the Lord, honoring the Lord uh, within your stewardship and, and seeing what God will do for you. He's... What a promise. He said, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You won't be able to receive it. In the book of Haggai, he says, I'll take my needle out and I'll sew up the holes that I put in your bags. He says, you've been putting money in those bags of holes all this time because you neglected me and you neglected my house. Haggai 1, Malachi chapter 3. Tremendous, tremendous chapters on stewardship. And he said, I'll just kind of fix that bag so the money you put in there stays in there. And uh, Haggai 1 is a great chapter to read if you're, if you're struggling in, in your stewardship. And I, I feel for you. I did too. You know, first, first, time, first time I heard about tithing, I thought, man, what kind of a scheme is this? You know, what is this pastor? You know, is, it, is he just trying to get a paycheck? What, what's, he, what's he doing here? I had all these horrible, evil thoughts. But um, then... Uh, I finally, I finally submitted to what the Lord taught. And what a blessing it's been ever since, for decades and decades and decades, stewardship. End of the year, you, you never miss the money. It's like uh, God has blessed over and above. He'll be, an, he'll be nobody's creditor, God. And uh, he'll, he, you have a contest with him the rest of your life. You won't be able to outgive him. He's going to win that every time. Uh, he is so good in that area. He's good in every area. But uh, but there's a very famous statement there in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Boy, the things people have done for money, saved and unsaved. But think of some of the stuff the unsaved have done for money. Just, just horrible things. The love of money. Boy, what a powerful medium money can be in our lives we gotta we gotta just say no you gotta walk away from that someday and say god I, i'm not gonna even think about it. i'm just gonna put you first but thou O man of god flee these things that means run in the opposite direction as fast as you can that's what the word flee means and follow after righteousness godliness faith 
love, patience, meekness, which are in the opposite direction, then fight the good fight. So we have a little bit of an alliteration there in English. Flee, follow, and fight. Flee these things, follow these things, and fight the good fight of faith. There is a good fight. There is a good fight. I mean, there's, there's a lot of fights people are in today that aren't good. But fight the good fight. What's the good fight? The good fight of faith. That's, that's, that's contending earnestly, as Jude said, for the faith. Winning souls to Christ. Spreading the faith, the gospel. That's the good fight. Fighting for souls. Fighting for the preservation of sound doctrine. And, and uh, right until Jesus comes, transferring that to the next generation, that they'll be sound in doctrine. And it says, lay hold on eternal life. Uh, that means seize it. Uh, you know, the, the, the world has a saying, seize the day. What does that mean? Everybody gets the day, but some of it seize it. Some, some people seize the day, right? Everybody got today. Some of you seized it and made, made good use out of it. Others just didn't do a thing with it. Same with eternal life. A lot of people have eternal life, never do a thing with it. Uh... And, and, and it's a, a terrible thing to neglect is the eternal life that's in you. And we should live in that eternal life, that, that spiritual life, uh, every single day and, and make each day count. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life where unto thou art called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so Timothy has already shown himself to be faithful. He, he has been called by God. He has uh, professed a good profession. Many witnesses before this point in his life have, have seen God's hand uh, upon him. And uh, so he is to fight the faith. So he gets a charge, verse number three. Uh, this is now the third charge in this book. That's like a towards Timothy. There's some other charges, but this is the third time Timothy is charged in this book. And that, that charge is a military term. It's a, a military commandment. Uh, you don't say to your commanding officer, oh, thanks for the suggestion, I'll think about it. Uh, you don't say that. If some of you have been in the military, that's, that's not how you respond when you get a charge in the military. And that's what the word is. This is now the third charge to Timothy. I give thee charge in the sight of God. Boy, that sounds serious who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, that's even more serious, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. And so this charge is solemnized before God and Jesus Christ to uh, Timothy that sounds very serious. What? Verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What commandment is that? That you flee. That no pastor ends up like a Gehazi. Okay? He was the guy that was supposed to follow up after Elijah. And he ended up loving uh, covetousness. And he ended up a leper and a storyteller. He never was a preacher or anything. Uh, He was just a storyteller. And last time we hear him, The king says, hey, tell me all the stories about Elijah, because he didn't have any of his own. And um, we don't want to be like an Elijah, and so we have this charge that you've got to flee the love of money. 
that should have n- never be uh, a thought that even comes into the mind of the minister. Uh, flee those things. Follow after righteousness. Fight the good fight. This is a charge in God's eyes and the Lord Jesus' eyes. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. They probably believe, like we believe, that the Lord will come in their day. Well, he didn't, and I don't know if he'll come in our day either, but we're supposed to believe that. Uh, every, every century of believers thought he was going to come in their day. So do we. Now, we have the doxology of this book uh, uh, in verses 15 and uh, 16. This is the doxology. It's kind of like him tying up the letter. This is the end of 1 Timothy. Which in times past he shall show who is the only and blessed, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So there's your doxology. It honors our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the blessed and only potentate. Only Jesus Christ is all-powerful. There's a lot of gods out there. They're not real, but he's the only, he's the only one who is blessed and only potentate, the only all-powerful one. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He, 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 who only hath immortality, that the power of his endless life. Um, Jesus has an endless life, immortality. He never began. Jesus was uncreated. He always was and always will be. Uh, He only hath immortality. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man has seen nor can see. I'm glad that's in there because you always get these people who say they've seen Jesus. Uh, They used to be around a lot back in the 70s and 80s. It seems to have diminished some in the body of Christ. But there used to be these people who say, you know, I saw Jesus or I saw this light and so on. Well, this verse says both Jesus and the light that he dwelleth in cannot be seen. So I don't know what these people are seeing. Um, Maybe it's an angel of light. That's scary. But uh, maybe they're just having a dream or what, like we say, sometimes eat too much pizza and pepperoni or whatever. But stick to this. Stick to the Word of God when somebody says, oh, I've seen Jesus or, yeah, I've seen the light and say, you know, the Bible says this. I don't know what you saw. I love you, but I'm going to stick with the Bible, not with your experiences. I'm going to stick with what the Word of God says. To whom be honor and glory and power everlasting. Amen. Now, if you know preachers, amen doesn't mean amen. Uh, so there's two postscripts. Did you ever write a postscript? You know, at the end of your, you sign it, and you know, sincerely, and then you, P.S., P.S.S. So there's two postscripts here. The first postscript is verses 17, 18, and 19, and it is a charge to the rich. So a lot of this chapter had to do with financial principles. I didn't do it justice. I didn't do this book justice at all. Uh, in these six lessons, it's just kind of been a little overview. Charge them. Now, they get a charge. Who? That are rich in this world, and thank God for them. That they be not high-minded, 
Don't get proud if you're rich. Don't start thinking, boy, I must be better than other people. Well, you know, Jesus didn't even have a pillow, so I kind of doubt your conclusion uh, is very spiritual. Uh, Don't be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, because they have a way of making wings, the Bible says, and fly away, right? But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And write down Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. I wish I could read that. That verse changed my life uh, regarding money. Uh, It's God that gives us the ability to get wealth. That's what that verse says. So if you end up making a lot, don't forget to acknowledge God who gave you the ability to make a lot. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things God gives you. But to the rich, here's the charge, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And that's all talking about being a giver. And how we thank the Lord. I thank the Lord today for those that are in this church who are rich, who have enabled us sometimes to do things far beyond our expectations because they've been so faithful. They've been so faithful, far more than we ever thought we could do for missions. Praise the Lord for those who live by this verse because notice their reward, verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So just like the preacher is supposed to lay hold on eternal life, in other words, don't just get saved, but do something with your salvation. Verse 12, so the rich, don't just be saved, do something for eternity's sake, laying up a good foundation. And boy, I could show you a bunch of verses here that tell us that by our faithful stewardship, uh, there will be rewards in heaven. And we're told to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves bake through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Those are the words of the Lord. They must be true. It must be we can be faithful in our stewardship here and meet up with it up there. Meet up with it up there. So that's a good principle for anyone. I mean, the widow gave more than the rich people because she gave out of her want. They gave out of her their, their uh, um, abundance. So all of us uh, can lay up in heaven things by being faithful to our stewardship down here. And I appreciate you helping missions and church planning and, and, and other things that have led to souls being rescued and saved. Now the second postscript, the first one was to the rich, verses 17 through 19, and now the last one is to Timothy in verses 20 and 21, and it's loaded, but we're going to close here in a minute. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Amen, Brother Chris? It's a trust. Keep that. Avoid profane and vain babblings. We went over that back in chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, some people, their, their, their language is profane. Uh, they're in vain, empty babblings. Don't any of us use your word for profanity or emptiness. You know, they say great minds 
talk about ideas. Average minds talk about events. Small minds talk about people. We've got to have ideas, you know, creative ideas. This is what God wants us to do, a vision. Avoid profane and vain babblings because words are power. Death and life are in the power of words. And he that loveth it shall eat the fruit thereof. If our words are life-giving, we'll, we'll eat the fruit of life. So we've got to watch our preaching and our teaching and our talking and our fellowship. And be careful. Um, and also, you've got to um, avoid oppositions of science falsely so-called. We see some of that today, don't we? Oppositions of science. Everything's science nowadays. Science was confusing, you know. COVID, remember that? The liquor stores were essential. The churches were closed. Why? We're following the science. So, and you're okay. <laughs> Oppositions of science falsely so-called. We got all kinds of stuff they're saying now is immutable science. You know, all these people's bizarre behaviors is immutable science. So... If you say anything about that, that's violent speech, and my, oh my, boy, are we in for a battle. Which some professing have erred concerning the faith, so even believers start listening to the science. Now, there's good science. Again, we love science. We love real science. It makes us worship God. Everything we learn that's real causes us to worship our God. We love real science. But there's pseudoscience according to the scriptures. And sometimes believers try to work that pseudoscience into their faith and it says they've erred concerning the faith. Grace be unto thee, amen. That's the last amen there, right? Okay. <laughs> Time he meant it. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Bible study tonight and thank you for First Timothy. I pray especially it would help Pastor Barron and other pastors, Pastor Garland, myself, Lord, just that he would live in this book and, and Lord, these things he's got to deal with, including uh, instructing those in the church about their employment and about their finances. They, us pastors mean well. We want, we want them to be blessed in this life and in the next. And uh, Lord, you're, you're so gracious to make that so open for anyone to participate in. If anyone's struggling in faith in their stewardship tonight, help their faith, we pray uh, that they would prove you and, and see it a blessing. Help us, though, Lord, never to love money, but to love you and to serve you. And uh, now we pray for your blessing as we go on into the next epistle. Lord, do fill us with your Holy Spirit for the rest of this week that we could be a good testimony in the workplace as we read, or school, or neighborhood, wherever we might be. Dismiss us with thy blessing. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.